Hey everyone, Jeremy here, and uh, I'm very excited for the conversation we're going to have today because uh, the guest isn't new to doing an interview with me, but he is new to the Command Your Brand show. So I'm excited to have his expertise here as we're going to be looking at the right financial information that you need to have. So I think so many of us are educated the wrong way. We don't understand you know, how we should be generating income, how we should be generating wealth. And I think for a lot of us, it really just makes us affect rather than causative in our lives. So our guest today is Chris Miles. He is an expert on everything cash flow, on everything wealth, and he is really going to help us out today. So Chris, thanks for hanging out today, man. Man, I am so excited to be here. Appreciate you having me back on again. Yeah. So you're new to this audience. This is the Command Your Brand show. So tell us a little bit about right. who you are, man, and what you do. Yeah. So I'm the anti-financial advisor, right? Um, so I actually help people create... <laughs> freedom and cash flow and passive income right now, rather than waiting 30 or 40 million years for that someday that you might have some sort of freedom. And that's really the big focus. And, and that actually started, I mean, I, I didn't intend to be that way, but I, I was actually planning to become a business consultant. And then, you know, a few years in, you know, as I was going through college, I realized if I'm going to be a business consultant, shouldn't I have real life business experience? Yes. So I dropped out of college and it ended up, I actually, uh, the first business I found was being a financial advisor. I didn't know anything about money. My dad taught me things like, you know, hey, I, we can't afford this. Money doesn't grow in trees. We think I am made of money, you know, all those kind of things. But it uh, sounds but, like things my dad would say to me, by the way. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> kind of depression era mentality you're used to hearing, right? So he was always yeah. telling me, just save everything you've got. Well, financial advisor was a pretty easy way into that because that's pretty much what you teach, right? You teach people mm -hmm. to spend nothing, save everything, save it forever, and hopefully someday you have something. And Several years in, I actually sat down with my dad and uh, he's like, hey, I'm 61 years old, years old. I want to retire. What do I do? And I'm looking at his finances for the first time in my life because he's always very tight with his money. And as I looked at it, I said, dad, here's the deal. Even though you're debt free and you've been stuffing your 401k, you better hope you die in five years because that's how long your money will last before you run out. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, well, what do I do? I said, I don't know. You did everything right. And that bugged me. It really mm -hmm. bugged me because I realized as a financial advisor, I was really just a salesman in a suit. And, and really the stuff that he was doing, he's, he was doing the right things. He was doing the things that people accuse you of not doing right when they say, well, they don't have enough money in retirement. Well, they just didn't save enough. No, he was doing everything right. It's because the whole model of financial advising is broken. They tell you you're going to be able to make it, but in truth, you're not because you just don't make a big enough return for the amount of money and risk that you're putting in. And and so I realized either I keep my integrity intact or I, you know, and I leave or I just put blinders on, keep doing it because that's my career. And I chose the former. I ended up quitting, kept my integrity intact, vowed never to teach about money again uh, until I met some guys that were real estate investors, started to learn from them about passive income and what you can actually create with less. And as a result, later that year, I was actually able to retire 28 years old. And, uh, and completely shocked I was able to create that. And so as a result, people always ask me how I did it. And that's what kind of got me to becoming this anti-financial advisor because people want me to be like a financial advisor. But the truth is, no, I'm not. I don't have those licenses anymore. Um, but I do know how to strategize and even connect people with those passive investing deals, uh, things that are backed by real assets like real estate that can actually pay them you know, double-digit returns and pay them great income right now rather than waiting 30 or 40 years to see if it even worked. So let me ask you this, because to me, it would seem like, I guess the first hurdle a lot of times is education, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. not having the right thought process on money, not having the right 
mind I, I feel like saying the right mindset of money is kind of you know like something that gets marketed too much but really like understanding how money actually works so from yeah. your perspective where's the right place to start education wise so we're actually like thinking correctly about money and how it works well, I mean, there's books out there that are that have been written on the subject, like Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Always a great place to start. Um, if you've already done that, there's always our Money Ripples podcast, of course, that we have that we teach about these things as well. Um, but I mean, you got to start there and, and find ways to reverse your mindset, getting more into that, what I refer to as that steward mindset, right? Because mm -hmm. we're all taught with money to be savers. Because mm -hmm. I mean, the spenders, they get all the bad rap, right? But the spenders are really the minority of the population. Most people in America, even by statistically speaking, are actually savers, not spenders. And so what's happening is that, I mean, now some people can't save much and that's why they don't have a lot, but a lot of people are actually taught to just save, try to be cheap and try to just get their money accumulating, right? That accumulation theory. If I accumulate enough money, eventually I can live on less than the interest, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if I get up to that million dollars, I can then pull off what financial advisors recommend being 3% a year. I can pull off 3% a year. That's 30,000 a year as a millionaire. So I'm a broke millionaire um, versus if you go from a passive income cash flow mindset, like what you hear in like Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, when you come from that standpoint, then you get like with one of my clients who had that million dollars that he's actually, actually saved up in his retirement accounts. And then we transitioned over to buying things like some real estate properties that he didn't manage. Somebody else does. He put mm -hmm. his money, you know, into like some oil and gas type investments where you get paid on the lease of the land. He got money into some apartments, you know, partnerships where he was a part of that. It had ownership interest in that. And the next thing you know, his hundred, his million is not making 30,000 a year, but 130,000 a year instead. So let me ask you this then, like, you know, we handle our mindset on money. We handle over thinking about it. I like the, the differentiation between saving and spending, right? Cause I think it is, it is important to understand how that works, but I guess looking at it then, obviously it's better to start earlier in life rather than later, but at the same time, mm -hmm. it's better to start at all than not at all. And I guess looking at yeah. that, what sort of things should we be looking at as some of those first vehicles that, that we're kind of starting to create some, some groundwork with? Yeah. I, I say this is get your money out of prison, right? <laughs> Everything we've been taught to do is to lock our money away from us. It's almost like we can't even be trusted with our own money because we're just too irresponsible. So hand it over to somebody else because they know better than we do. Even though I was a financial advisor and I'll tell you, the only requirement to be a financial advisor is to not have a criminal record and be able to pass a test. That's it. You don't have to be a financial genius at all. You don't have to get 70% on that test even. So it, just understand that when you try to turn, you're told to turn your money over, give it to that financial professional, right? Give it to those institutions, that fidelity you know, 401k, lock your money away into your bank by paying off your house early and all the other stuff. All you're doing is creating more risk and taking money out of your possession. Instead, be a wise steward of your money, take the money back in your possession, and then use it to get it out, get it out of that prison and into places where it can actually generate income today, not forever from now, but right now. And so that's the key thing to do. And so look for places where money might be sitting on the sidelines of your savings account, are you stuffing money in a 401k? Maybe stop putting all that extra money in the 401k. And by the way, the match hardly even makes up for the bad performance of those 401k funds that do worse than the stock market. So most of the time when people say, I get that match, that match does diddly squat because you have crappy funds that you're always, you're, you have to choose from. So mm -hmm. 
Well, that's what even I look at. I I helped my dad a number of years ago when he like cashed out his IRA and everything because he retired. So it was an IRA versus a Roth IRA where, you know, the Roth IRA is tax free when it goes in and a regular IRA, you get the taxes at the end. Man, you don't make a whole lot of money on your IRA after they tax you. (laughs) No, you really don't. Yeah, I mean, so I, even I, it's Roth. I mean, like the Roth, they put all these little rules and limits on it, so you can't really accumulate very much in there very fast. I mean, that's the thing. Government-sponsored type of programs, those retirement plans, although they're supposed to help take the responsibility away from the government so they have to keep paying Social Security, mm-hmm. still people have to go back to Social Security because the money that you're putting, the place you're putting your money in, in the stock market, mutual funds specifically, just isn't making you enough money so that you have that freedom and then you need the government to live on. So you're, you're just living this life of scarcity and lack, delay, procrastination. It's, it's just, a, it's bad. And by the way, Fidelity, their stats say that only 1.5%, 750,000 of their clients have at least a million dollars saved up with the baby boomers and the Gen Xers like wow. myself. I mean, that's, that's pretty scary statistics. I mean, imagine if you had a business that had, you know, only 15 people out of a thousand that gave you a five-star review. Would you want to go with that company? I mean, come on. You wouldn't be in business you know, very long, man. <laughs> no, but those financial companies, man, they could put so many billions of dollars marketing to you that this is the way. Paying those financial advisors to tell you this is the only path, that's mm-hmm. where you got to liberate yourself, break free of those chains, and get somewhere that's actually been proven to work, like what we're talking about here with this alternative investment place. So let me ask you this then. So you take control of your money, You know, look at all mm-hmm. the places that it shouldn't be where it's out of your control. So then what are, I guess, some of the best places to start looking at where to put it? Like, what are the right type of, and I'm sure they're different depending on what age you are, right? Like, I'm sure different investments based on like um, where you are in life matter too. But like, where should you start looking at, at putting these things? Like, what are the right type of places to look? Yeah, I mean, a great place to look. I mean, I talk about real assets, right? And I talk a lot about real estate, but don't think of real estate like what most people do, which is I'm buying a property in my backyard right? I'm buying it in my town and then I have to go and clean up after the tenants, the toilets and the trash and all that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm talking about here. When I talk about investing in real estate, now you could own a property like that client that had a million dollars that bought a couple of duplexes, but he's not managing the property. He had a company help him find the property in another state. He lives in California, but these properties are out in the Southeast. So he has Mm. properties in another state managed by somebody else that finds those tenants and everything else. He just gets paid the checks. So he's hands off. So when I talk about passive income, I really mean your money goes to work for you, not you having to work for it. Not the thing where people say, oh, it's passive. You know, you get passive income, but then you have to start this brand new business, part-time or full-time. They create quote unquote passive income, which is a bunch of crap, right? So putting your money to work. Um, It could also be lending your money to investors. Uh, Right now, that's great because interest rates have been higher. There's investors willing to pay 10, 11, 12 plus percent a year. Heck, I even got my money loaned out for 90 days right now. That's a 15% a year return. And so I have that money out and then he uses it, pays me back that money with interest. Um, there's things like I mentioned, oil and gas is, is one of the most under, really underserved, under talked about. Um, I don't want to say underappreciated, but definitely, uh, definitely underestimated right now mm-hmm. where um, oil and gas space, if it's done right, not the speculative stuff, but renting out the land and then getting cut on the royalties too, kind mm-hmm. of a double dip approach. Man, like, I mean, I've had clients, I mean, I made 8% on my deal last year, but I had clients that made 35% on a, on a wow. different deal. So, I mean, there's so many options there. I even do partnerships. I have a partnership where I invested a quarter million and it's currently paying me 7,500 a month. And I'm just reinvesting that to get that compounding faster where that'll probably be about 15,000 a month in the next year and a half. 
So I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing I talk about is getting your money to do more versus if I had that quarter million getting paid 3% for my financial advisor, I'm like, wow, I just made 7,500 bucks a year. Well, now I'm making 7,500 a month. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. So those are the kind of places to look, but just be careful because I would say the vast majority of people out there don't know what they're doing. The, the real estate investors, they, they might've been okay because they've you know, started in 2017. And of course, everybody made money in real estate the last five, six years, but now it's a different story. So you want people with good experience, you know, good uh, focus there. Uh, they've had, they've been through the great recession. They've come out of it. Okay. You know, those kind of people are the ones that I like to invest with. And, and that's why even with our one-on-one clients, we even have like a, a membership where we have, you know, we give them access to people like I've invested with or people I've known that have that kind of experience. So let me ask you this then. Um, I guess looking at that, like, is there like a, like a requisite number in your opinion of like different things you should be invested in? Cause at the same time, like I think going all in, in, in one area is, is really not smart, but I guess like looking no. at it, like in your opinion, is there a minimum number of places we need to be in order to be, I guess, safer in some way? It, it really kind of depends on the money you're starting with. Um, definitely the bigger the money, the more I have people diversify. Um, like if I get somebody who only has maybe a few hundred thousand dollars to start, and that's usually kind of the lower end of where our clients have cash to access, you know, we might do a combination of maybe buying one or two rentals, you know, and then, and then of course, you know, maybe have like a fund or something like that, where, you know, like it might be a fund that's being used to lend to real estate investors. So there's some diversification within that fund already. And that kind mm-hmm. of helps diversify you a little bit more. Um, and I don't mean real estate investment trust, like a REIT fund that your financial advisor offers. I mean, like a fund where they're actually actively lending this money or using it for real estate investing, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And and in terms of that as well, like, you know, the economy has kind of been in really weird shape, Chris. Uh, Things have been interesting, Mm -hmm. but we're not in a recession, but we're sort of in a recession. (laughs) Um, And and I I guess looking at that, do strategies change when the economy changes or or, or how do you look at that? They do. They actually really do. I mean, it's, it's not in a bad way necessarily, but that's the great thing is that you have a variety. Like, like, for example, right now, um, investing in apartment complexes. It's kind of a hard game, even for my, you know, some of my contacts that I know they've been investing in like 20 plus years in apartments. They're saying, Hey, I'm not finding anything good right now. I'm, I'm not raising any capital or any money to borrow from investors. Um, where, you know, like self-storage, same thing. That's kind of almost the point of making a comeback. So you can invest in self-storage, which is great. Usually in most recessions it's recession resistant, not recession proof. Um, but again, the conditions have to be right. That's why I say like lending right now is great oil and gas is poised to actually start skyrocketing to make even better returns than what we've made in the last few years. You know, so it just depends. There are different markets, different conditions. And that's why it's, it's so important to, you know, to have that community and have that ability to keep your finger on the pulse and know what's going on. Because, you know, clients that talked to me three, four years ago, we were talking about buying rental properties where right now you're making half the returns, half the cash flow on those rental properties because of higher, higher interest rates. Right. So so it, it changes. It does shift and change. But the good news is there's almost always something you could be investing in. It just depends on the on the moment. Yeah. And I think like corporate real estate, too, is, is kind of in a lot of trouble right now, even since like you know, working has changed and stuff like that. Do you think that's going to be a segment that comes back or, or how do you feel about like commercial real estate? Eventually. Yeah, it's it's got to it's got to crash and burn a little harder right now and or get to the point of fire sales. The real question is 2024, 2025, if the banks will actually refinance them or not. Mm. If they don't, you're going to see all kinds of craziness. And, and I'll tell you, that's where there could be opportunity. Because during the Great Depression, 
Um, you guys have heard John F. Kennedy, of course, right? His dad, Joseph Kennedy, he actually was worth $4 million in, in 1929 during the crash of, of the stock market. But in 1935, six years later, he was worth $100 million because commercial real estate crashed in New York City and he gobbled it up. He went from bootlegging, which didn't work anymore because they legalized it again, all of a sudden to now doing commercial real estate and made literally tens of millions of dollars doing that. So there's, there's great opportunity in those kind of things. Uh, the key is, of course, again, you want to be with trusted people, people that have been vetted, um, places where you're safe. And, mm -hmm. and heck, there's even strategies we teach where you can store money in places to make like, you know, 5% return a year tax-free. Just let the money sit there and grow and do its thing if there's nothing to invest in. But I mean, there's all kinds of ways to make money off of this. And looking at that, for you, I'm curious, do you have any like personal rules for how you decide what's a good investment and what's a bad investment? Um, I, I, I actually walked past, I think it was actually Fidelity the other day, and they had a sign mm -hmm. in the window for certificates of deposit, and you could get like 1%, baby. Um, oh, yes. man, I remember back in the days when it was, it was substantially better than that. But I guess in terms of like when you're looking at, you know, like Chris's rules for what's a good investment and what's a bad investment, are there things that you weigh when you're looking at something? Well, the first thing is if you have to ask, then it's not a good investment for you, right? Mm. That's always the first thing. Like I, I, told, I, I had one client where he wanted to do the same kind of partnership I did with like buying and selling raw land. I don't do the buying and selling. I have partners that do that, but I'm making you know, 7,500 a month from that. And so he's asking me, he's like, man, I want to believe in this. I just, I'm so scared. I was like, listen, here's my rule. My rule of thumb is when in doubt, stay out, right? Mm. Or if you're in it, when in doubt, maybe you want to get out, you know? Um, that's one of the big things right there is if you have those doubts, if there's something uncertain, even if everything looks good, if something in the back of your mind is telling you no, I've learned to follow that little sixth sense, that, that intuition, right? Following your gut is so, so important. Um, I even learned that when I was doing stock trading in the, you know, back in the day, like something would make all the perfect sense on the technical side, but then something would make sense in the back of my mind. And if I didn't listen to it, I lost money, right? And so I see the same thing here. Um, like I said, the, the other rule is, you know, I like to invest with people that have been through a full market cycle. So if I invest with somebody else, full market cycle is very important. Um, meaning that they've probably been doing this for at least 15 years. So they've been, they were at least started during the last recession and they're still going now. So they've been through the ups and the downs, some of the pivots and turns, even 2020 and things like that. Um, that's another big rule. Uh, another one is this, um, I always ask how much control is there in this investment? Like if something were to go wrong, what could happen? What could be the worst case scenario, right? And if there is a worst case scenario, what can we do? Is there multiple ways to adjust and move or are we just helpless? Because like, for mm -hmm. example, the stock market goes down, you're totally helpless, right? There's nothing you yes. can do. You have no control. But, you know, if you go into like a partnership with other people, and I've actually seen this happen with some real estate investors where all of a sudden their deals going, going south doesn't mean they lost money, but it might mean that they're just, they can't pay any monthly distributions, monthly income off of that. Mm -hmm. Well, at that period of time, the owners can get together and say, you know what? We want you to sell this and we're going to veto you. We're going to vote you to say, let's sell this property right now. Let's get out from under it, get our money back, maybe make some returns. Let's get out. So having that element of control can be very, very important. I think that's really important too, because like to be in a situation where you can do nothing about it, man, like that just seems like you know what I mean? Like you're totally out of fact. And I think that's actually how most people go through their financial life. Yeah. I'm curious as well, if you look at it, 
you know, inflation, it's been going rampant the last three years, especially with all the extra drunken sailor spending we've been doing. And I'm, I'm curious, like, how do you work with inflation? Because at the same time, it is, you know, a, a tax that we don't really pay, but we still pay it somehow based on what our money's worth. How do you operate kind of, you know, in a more inflationary economy like we are now? That's where it's so important to buy real assets. That's, that's the one thing everybody's missing. See, with inflation, especially higher interest rates, people are like, I want to buy the stock or I'm going to go buy more Tesla or Google or whatever it might be. Well, tech companies get hurt the most by inflationary times, and especially by higher rates. So I like to buy things that do go up with inflation. So real estate is a great example. Like all kinds of real estate can go up with inflation, especially if you buy the right kinds. Um, another thing that I like to do too is um, when there's higher interest rates, I also do a strategy called infinite banking. Um, I like to refer to it as max ROI, infinite banking, because I like to buy the lower cost stuff than this, the stuff you find out there. Um, but there, my dividends are going up. Uh, the cool thing is I can even leverage and borrow from that money, use it to invest in other things and make money in two places at once. And the cool thing is the rates are lower here and I'm making more returns over here and I'm actually able to make a lot more money than I would just use my own cash. So I'm really taking advantage of those things that have, you know, that actually like inflation, you know, those, mm -hmm. those kind of things are great. Yeah. My, my sticker shock the other day is, uh, so I, I, I got my first, I love Volkswagens by the way. And I, and I know mm -hmm. most, most people aren't big fans, but I love, I love Volkswagens. And I just got another one recently after not having one for a long time. We had a BMW forever, but I just got another one and I had to have some major engine work done recently. And I, I looked at the hourly rate and it was like 140 bucks an hour. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like that seems like it went up a lot. So the last time I had one was in 2007. So I looked it up because I'm like, you know, the hourly rate then, I think it was like 80 or 90 bucks. And I was like, that's a pretty good rate. So I looked it up and I'm like, what is a 2000, $2,023 or $2,023 versus $2,007? I think it was like 49 cents. I'm like, oh my <laughs> gosh, man, it hasn't been that long. <laughs> I think it's even worse than that. It's, is it worse uh, than that? Because that's the government's numbers, which they always downplay inflation. So they don't have to raise up social security as much. So they're yes. always manipulating those numbers, right? Yeah. Well, Chris, I've really enjoyed this conversation, man. And um, you're doing so much out there to help people feel more positive in their financial life. How can they connect with you? How can they find out more about what you're doing, man? Yeah, best way you can visit our website, moneyripples.com. In fact, there's a cool passive income calculator you can try out to see how much passive income you could actually create in your situation in the next 12 months. Uh, so you can go there or you can just check out our, web, our, our podcast, the Money Ripples podcast we have on YouTube, iTunes, or anywhere you follow podcasts. Very cool. Chris Miles, thank you so much for hanging out today, man. Thanks so much. Appreciate it.